0: So yes, we're going to have a look at reflections on 2017, um, and then we're going to look forward at 2018. Uh, Yeah, that's my daughter shouting daddy very loudly over there. This is where the kids normally go out before uh, we do talks like this, but welcome to the gap between Christmas and New Year. Right, I'm going to see if I can get my phone to work and do this. Yes, I can. That's good, isn't it? Um, I should start by saying that I am terrible reflecting on things. My general approach to life is why stop and look at something that you've done when you could just do more stuff. Uh, Over the Christmas holidays, my wife Louise and I went to the cinema twice, which means that in 2017 I have been to the cinema twice because I hate the cinema. And the reason that I hate going to the cinema is for two hours you have to sit still and you can't say anything or do anything. Neither of those things are things that I enjoy doing very much. So I am the one worst person, probably, to do the beginning bit of this. the reflecting on 2017, but the good thing is that, you know, sometimes you stand up in church, well, other people do, and then people are listening, and they assume that the person who's standing up at the front has got it all sorted. This, if ever, well, to be honest, that's never the case with me. but particularly today, that is definitely not. So, what are we are going to do? We're going to start by looking at this quote. Um, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Um, A few of you may recognize this quote. I think we might even have put it up on the screen here before. It's attributed to Martin Luther King. Actually, as an aside, it's not written by Martin Luther King at all. It's written by a guy called Theodore Parker. He was a 19th century minister. Martin Luther King just quoted it in one of his speeches. And from that moment on, everyone's forgotten, poor old Theodore. Um, But anyway, that's not important. What's important are the words. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. If I'm honest, I think 2017 has tested those words a bit. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Because 2017, globally, has been a pretty terrible year, hasn't it? I looked at the major events of the year, and just for a few minutes, I'll just show you what I found. In February, North Korea tested a ballistic missile, firing it across the Sea of Japan. In March, the UN warned that the world is facing the biggest humanitarian crisis since World War II, with up to 20 million people at risk of starvation and famine in Yemen, Somalia, South Sudan, and Nigeria. On March the 22nd, a terrorist attack on Westminster Bridge meters from here, injured more than 50 and killed four. In April, the USA dropped a GU-43B Moab in Afghanistan, the world's biggest non-nuclear bomb. On May the 22nd, a terrorist attack on Manchester Arena at an Ariana Grande gig killed 22 and injured over 100 more. A fortnight later... On June the 3rd, eight died and 48 were injured after a terrorist attack at London Bridge, also not more than a mile from here. Four days later, ISIS attacked Iran for the first time, killing 17 and wounding 43 more. A week after that, the Grenfell Tower fire killed 71. Five days later, a terror attack in Finsbury Park killed one person and injured 10 more. Two days after that, the Great Mosque in Mosul was destroyed by ISIS. That, that was just June. In July, North Korea successfully tested an intercontinental ballistic missile. In August, ethnic cleansing in Myanmar hit the news. That's still ongoing. Hurricane Harvey hit Houston and killed over 90 people. In September, Hurricane Irma killed at least 134 in the Caribbean and in the USA. Hurricane Maria killed 94 in Dominica and Puerto Rico. And an earthquake in central Mexico killed 369 and left thousands more homeless. October saw a shooting in Las Vegas which killed 58 and wounded 546. And a truck bombing in Somalia which killed 512. In November, the defense secretary, Michael Fallon, stepped down and many more famous men were implicated in sexual harassment cases. An earthquake in Iran and Iraq killed 530 and left over 70,000 homeless. And an attack on a mosque in Egypt killed 305. The arc of the moral universe is long but it bends towards justice. That's what we say. I left out a lot of things that I could have talked about. I left out anything that could be divisive or or deemed to be too political one way or the other. I left out the inauguration of Donald Trump. I left out Brexit. I left out the general election. Huge events because we will have differing opinions on them. But I think one thing we can agree on particularly on Brexit in the general election, is that these, um, these events have separated our country more than previous years. People are now more entrenched than they have been for decades into different camps. The stats say young people vote Labour more so than previously, old people vote Conservative more so than previously, Londoners want to stay in the EU, Northerners want to leave. The combined share of the general election vote for a Labour Party that is more left-wing than it's been for decades, and a Conservative Party, which is more right-wing than it was under its previous leader, was greater than it had been for any time in the last 40 years. The center ground is disappearing. We are entrenched into left and right. We are entrenched in the different camps. And the problem, one of the problems with that We are becoming a more divided country. And that has an impact on the words that we say to each other and how we treat each other. Hate crimes involving racial and religious discrimination rose in 2017 at an unprecedented level. We're living in difficult times. I'm really sorry if this feels a bit negative for a Sunday morning, a bit much for a Sunday morning, but I didn't think that I could genuinely talk about reflecting on 2017 without making the point of where we've got to. This is what we see. So, what to talk about this morning? Well, I think we have to stick with this quote. As difficult as it may seem at the moment, As long as that arc feels at the moment, we've got to stick with it, and we've got to move on, as Danielle said, with hope. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at reflection. And then we're going to look at some practical ideas for moving forward. And we're going to start by looking at the Praxis Model of Contextual Theology. That sounds exciting for a Sunday morning, doesn't it? Ooh. So what is the Praxis Model of Contextual Theology? Well, there are two bits of good news. Number one is that it's much more simple than it sounds. And number two is that we don't need to look into it in much depth this morning. We will leave that for a Sunday morning when we're not so full of turkey and chocolate. So um, when the first British missionaries went to what was then Zanaki, what we now call Zimbabwe, they used Revelation chapter 3.20 as the basis for the evangelizing. This is what the verse says. It says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and him with me, Revelation 3.20. The problem with this is that it was a different culture. So British culture dictates that if you were to go to the house of a friend, you wouldn't just walk in with you. You would knock on the door. You would wait to come in, which is the culture that these guys were coming from. However, Zanaki homes, the majority of them, didn't have doors. So to knock, rather than calling out your welcome, marked you out as a thief, checking to see if anybody was inside before you came in to steal all this stuff. So these British missionaries, as lovely as they're trying to be and as uh, helpful as they're trying to be, were actually telling the Zanaki people, giving them their first impression of Jesus as a thief. This is an example of why we need contextual theology. All it is, simply, is the discussion of how much or how little we shape our theology to fit the context of the culture around us. We talk about contextual theology all the time in this church. We just don't call it that. We talk a lot, don't we, about how we, with our 21st century Western eyes, read the stories of Jesus differently to how those 1st century Palestinians sitting on a hillside in Jerusalem would have heard them. Theology in different contexts. This is a book called Models of Contextual Theology by Stephen Bevans, in which he puts forward six models of... um, contextual theology. Uh, he argues that the way that people do theology is always with a degree of contextualization. We're always putting the gospel into our context. So he's got these six models. They range from, at the one end, the countercultural model, which values experience of the past much more than it does the culture of the present. And at the other end, We've got the anthropological, which values human experience first and foremost, much more so than previous lived experience, and takes culture very seriously. So, the Praxis Model, I promise you, it is simple, and here it is. Committed action leads to reflection, which leads to committed and intelligent action. You start with committed action after which the theory is developed through a period of reflection, the bit I'm terrible at. Uh, And then this, in turn, leads to better informed, committed, and intelligent action, after which you have another period of reflection, which improves your action further. You do stuff, you reflect on it, you do stuff better. That's all it is. Um, to put it more simply, it's learning by doing, which actually is the strap line of the theology college that Oasis runs. Oasis College, Rebecca, who led the music this morning, graduated with a degree in church and community work and theology last summer from Oasis College, and she would have had to have gone to lectures, but also do 16 hours a week working at our Debt Advice Center and Food Bank. Learning by doing. You work in a community, you go to college, you reflect on what you've done and hopefully you come back and work smarter. Not sure that's work with Rebecca, but, you know, that's the idea anyway. Um, The the idea of learning by doing has been an important one throughout Christian history. In the Old Testament, we see these words from the prophet Amos in chapter 5. He says, away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. Don't just sing. Do something. Or Isaiah, another Old Testament prophet. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Or a verse from what we read this morning, James chapter 1. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Um, This idea of praxis, of learning by doing, and then reflecting on it and doing something better uh, has underpinned a load of different theological approaches uh, that we haven't got time to go into this morning, unfortunately. Liberation theology, mainly Latin American theologians, and feminist theology as well. Um, The Latin Americans um, talk about how theology finds its fulfillment not in just right thinking, orthodoxy but in right acting orthopraxy not just in right thinking but in right acting I'm sure that most of you who have been around for a while would agree that this is something that's been important to our church as well. Um, It's just over six years now since we had a conversation with the head teacher at the primary school that we run. And she said, we've got a load of families who aren't going to be able to eat over Christmas. And by that, we don't mean put a roast turkey dinner on the plate. We mean that these kids get free school meals and they're going to have a fortnight's holiday and they're not going to eat a hot meal for a fortnight. What can we do about it? And as a church, we said, we've got to sort that out. So we got the names of these 20 families how many kids they had and what ages that they were and the church came together and we gave food um, by the bucket load and we took it to the school and they gave it to the people um, who needed it, and they had food over Christmas. We reflected on that. We said, we can't just stop there. There are more people who need our help. Three months later, we opened the Waterloo Food Bank, working um, from that point forward for the last six years with thousands of local people. When these people started coming through our doors with the food bank, we sat down and we chatted to them. and We said, why are you coming here? Why do you need a food bank? And loads of people came back and said, we need the food bank because we're in debt. We reflected on that. We learned from it. We set up the Oasis Debt Advice Centre which now works with 40 or 50 clients and holds about 400,000 pounds worth of debt and this Christmas just before Christmas I worked at the food bank and a lady came up to me on a Friday morning before Christmas and she's literally jumping up and down with joy she'd said to her friend I've just seen people walking away with carrier bags full of food I cannot believe it I genuinely didn't think I was going to eat any food over Christmas That's learning by doing. That's not just orthodoxy. That is orthopraxy. But before we pat ourselves on the back and say, wow, aren't we great? We've got this nailed. I think it's probably fair to say that while there are a lot of churches out there that spend a lot of time on the reflection and not enough time on the action, I think it's fair to say, if we were self-critical, that we can spend a lot of time on the action and not enough time sometimes. On the reflection now for someone like me who is terrible at the reflection bit and wants to do stuff all the time and always wants to get stuff done it's a great place to work because decisions get made sometimes mainly quickly and you can get on with stuff and you can do it but what that means is that there are a lot of us like me in this organization in this church and what we need is some of the others to drag us back into a bit more of a period of reflection sometimes um, sometimes we are just guilty of too much practice and not enough reflection. I feel like the end of the year, then, is a great time to reflect on that. It is about the only time, if I'm honest, that I do any reflection. I generally sit down at some point in the first week of January with my laptop. I get my uh, my note that I made at the beginning of 2017 App. it's like Danielle said, actually, I make goals, I don't make resolutions, and I split them into my personal goals, and my work goals, and my study goals, and things like that, and then I look back at them, and I say, how have I done on these goals? And I look back, and I realize that they were insanely ambitious, and I've managed to hit about three of them, and then I move on. But um, And so I'll do that again next week at some point, point. and I think what I've learned through this process of writing this talk is actually I need to spend a bit more time reflecting on those goals before I jump ahead to what's 2018 got to offer me. Um, so the reflection is what we're going to do. We're going to take communion together, which obviously in itself is an act of reflection. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Verses 23 to 26, they say, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is my body. This is my blood. The whole act is about reflection, about right thinking. But there's also right acting as well. If you look in your NIV Bibles, you've probably got a little title at the top of this section of 1 Corinthians 11, which is correcting an abuse of the Lord's Supper. The followers of Jesus had started to slip back into their hierarchical ways, and Paul was writing to say, no, we share food with everybody. We eat Together, There are no divisions here. It's not enough to think correctly about Jesus. You have to act correctly too. So as we come forward to take the bread and the wine, I'd like us to also think about our last 12 months because there are other stories from 2017. Stories like that of Florin Morariu, The Romanian baker who worked at Bread Ahead at Borough Market and gave shelter to some tourists fleeing the London Bridge terror attacks. When he found out what was going on, he ran to the door, picked up two empty bread crates, and charged the terrorists and threw crates at them, saving lives. More sadly, there's this guy, Ignacio Echeverria. He's a Spaniard who also saw what was happening. He was skating down London Bridge at the time. He jumped off his skateboard and he started attacking the terrorists with a skateboard. He got stabbed and sadly died. In Spain, they're about to offer open a memorial, celebrating and commemorating his life. Or there's Safia Khan, probably my favorite photo of the year, a brummy who stepped in to protect a woman wearing a hijab who was being racially abused by the EDL. Because the moral arc doesn't just bend towards justice on its own, of its own accord. If there are times when it feels like it's going the, right, the wrong way, it's up to us. It's up to us to get together, to metaphorically grab hold of that moral arc, and pull it with all of our might, to bend it back the other way. And as we enter 2018, I wonder actually if that's our task. As we take communion together, I'm gonna ask all of us to engage in a little bit of praxis learning. I'm gonna put up some questions on the screen relating uh, to what's gone on this year. And then the band are gonna play, and you can just sit and read through and reflect on these questions for a few minutes. And then after a few minutes, I'd invite you to come down, take the bread, take the wine, go back to your seats, eat and drink together. And then there'll be a few more questions looking forward to 2018. What are we going to do differently? What are we going to carry on for 2018 while the band carry on playing? And then Rebecca and the band are going to sing another song for us to finish. But before we do, one last quote. This is a photo of my desk at home where I wrote this talk. Um, And there's a photo frame on it with these words in it, written by an author, Paulo Coelho. It says, one day you will wake up and there won't be any more time to do the things you've always wanted. Do it now. I think there are always a million excuses for why you won't get around to changing the things you didn't like in 2017 or doing the new things that you want to do in 2018. There are, you know, sometimes legitimate reasons, aren't there? We say, I can't do that, I'm too old, I'm too... I'm too embedded in my career path. I haven't got this. I haven't got that. I'm not clever enough. I couldn't go back and retrain. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. There are always reasons. But that's why I like to have these words next to my monitor. One day you'll wake up and there won't be any more time to do the things you've always wanted. Do it now. If that is you and you want to talk to somebody about any of that stuff, come and find me. Either afterwards, or we can meet for a coffee or a pint in the weeks to come. Go and find Danielle. She'll equally be happy to sit with you. Come and find any of us on the leadership team. We probably won't have any answers for you, but you know what? My experience is that if you are in that situation, you've probably actually got the answers yourself. What you need is somebody to sit with you and just push you on a little bit. One day, you will wake up, and there won't be any more time to do the things you've always wanted. Do it now. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Rebecca and the band are going to play. We'll just reflect on these first four questions.